Welcome to the Wealth Matters Podcast, where investors come together to better understand how to build passive cash flow and create generational wealth without all the confusing mumbo jumbo. Here's your host and co-author of Amazon number one bestseller, Alpesh Pamar. On today's episode, I'll be chatting with Justin and Keisha Brooks. They are based out of Kansas City and are building a nice buy and hold portfolio of single family residences, mixed use buildings, and assisted care living for seniors. They will talk about how they got where they are now and what mistakes they have made. I'll introduce them right after the break. You're listening to the Wealth Matters Podcast. The Wealth Matters Podcast. For more info about what we do, check us out at wealthmatters.com. It's wealth, W-E-A-L-T-H, matters, M-A-T-R-S, dot com. Welcome, Justin and Kesa, to Wealth Matters Podcast. How are hey, you guys thank doing? Thank you for having us. How are you doing today? Thank you today? so much for having us. Thank you. Doing well. We're doing well. Where are you right now? Uh, at home or somewhere outside? Uh, we're at home. Is it bad sound? No. <laughs> it's, it's great. <laughs> so can you tell us what do you do? Absolutely. So um, Keisha and I are real estate investors. We run a real estate firm, um, J.H. Brooks & Company, and... Uh, we uh, were authors, we're speakers, and uh, real estate investors. So, uh, best-selling author. Uh, I just was a part of the book Resilience, man, turning your setback into a comeback. And uh... and so, I am also um, going to be part of a project this coming spring. And we are also the founders of Real Life Real Equity Podcast. That's right. That's awesome. Yeah, and I do um, I do know about the book, of course, Justin, because I'm one of the co-authors with you. And I enjoyed right. your story thoroughly, and that's why I decided, you know, reached out to see if I can interview you both. So uh, yeah, yeah, I appreciate it. You you mentioned about real estate, right? So why real estate, and what exactly do you do in real estate world? Yeah, so you know, it's it's interesting. Um, I love architecture. I love design. I love buildings. Um, it's I'm different. When I walk into a room or into a, uh, a house or when I walk into a building, I look at di- things differently than most people. I'm looking at the ceiling and the architecture, the design. Um, I'm looking at the curves of the, of the building and the archways and the doors and the detail. Wow. Um, so it's, it's one of those things. My mind works a little bit differently, but um, if you go back, I've always had that entrepreneur mindset. You know, I've always thought of real estate and Keisha has a very similar story. Yes. So for me, when I was growing up, I grew up in Boston, Massachusetts, and actually my grandfather was into real estate. Um, He owned real estate on that coast and also in the South. And so he had several different properties. He was always interacting with different people, doing things in the community, and he even eventually had his own uh, company. So it just was really interesting to me. It's something that I've always been very familiar with. That's great. So what do you exactly do in real estate? Do you guys buy single families, multifamilies? What's what's your uh, 
Sweet so spot. we specialize in uh, in developing. So we're mixed use, um, mixed use, assisted living. Uh, we do a little single family. We have three divisions of J.H. Brooks and Company. There's the investment side where we in, we direct invest. There's the construction side where we construct and develop properties. And then there's the syndication side where we raise capital to fund deals. That That's interesting. So you mentioned mixed use and then you also mentioned assisted living. And all of yes, this... All of these are um, construction, or do you acquire and um, you know turn them, turn the properties around, do value add, or? So we do we do a little bit of both. So we do ground up construction. We also do some value add. Um, so our last project was an assisted living home where we did a uh, what most people would consider a a ground up construction of a brand new house, but it was just an addition. So we did a two thousand square foot addition uh, development project. Um, with our partners, and we we normally do a little bit uh, smaller projects, kind of one-off um, assisted living projects. But as we have grown over the last several years, we've started to you know ante up a little bit. So we've started to get into a little bit bigger projects. Um, and when we say mixed use, we're not just talking about multifamily. We're talking about mixed use office with retail below or right. residential retail below. So it's it's a little bit of everything. We're we're starting to get into the uh, more hospitality office space, uh, looking at doing some uh, some projects in that space. Yeah, that that is pretty interesting. And I myself looked into assisted living, not the mixed use side. So assisted living. Mm -hmm. um, how many beds or what kind of, uh, you know, properties do you build or acquire? Yes. Yeah, so um, it's a 12 bedroom facility. Oh, cool. Um, $1.5 million to $2 million price range for um, the construction and, and operation side of the, of the project. Um, we typically look at between 12 and 16 beds as our max um, for a home. Right, right. Because we want to make sure that we're able to um, properly operate the facility, but also provide the care that's needed for each resident that is part of the facility. I'm glad that you mentioned about 12 to 16 beds because I was looking for similar properties here in Bay Area, San Francisco Bay Area, right? And I could always right. find six beds. And the more analysis I did, it just did not make sense financially. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you right. know. Yeah, the, you know, I dug deep and I found out 12 beds is where, you know, you can maximize your profit, right? And as well as provide the care that is needed. Yeah, 12 beds is optimal. We can go as low as eight. Um, eight, you can actually run pretty effectively. There's a, a large market for eight bed facilities. Um, but, you know, 12 is optimal. So we, we like to kind of keep it around that 12 bed. It keeps the caregiver ratio, uh, caregiver to, to uh, resident ratio. Um, effective. It keeps it at a good level, allowing for the the really intimate care that you want in an assisted living home. Right. So, uh, and, and what do you do with this product? Do you build and hold? What's the strategy? Absolutely. So we're all we're we're buying hold at our core. Um, not big time flippers. We love holding real estate. Every time I've ever sold a piece of property, I've always regretted it. Um, <laughs> yeah. you know, I, you know, our first project was a duplex where we lived in one side and yeah. ran out the other. Oh, oh you house hacked. Oh, that's cool. You house hacked also. Yeah. That's right. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, 
and it, we were sad when we sold it. I mean, we got we were happy to sell it the first time, but I, about three months later, we had that seller's regret. Right. Yes. Of course. Because that area particularly was continuing to grow. Um, they, I mean, until this day, they're still adding a lot more retail up there. It's almost its own little city. So it was like, oh man, what did we do that for? <laughs> <laughs> and how do you operate this facilities? Do you guys have a manager or, or an operator? You have given all of this like a property manager or do you do hands-on and make sure that everything's going uh, the way you, you're supposed to? So with that first property, the duplex where we lived in one side um, and rented out the other, we actually felt like it was ideal for us to manage that property to begin with. Because you always want to kind of get a feel for what's going on, what's needed, exactly how to run the operation. So that way, when you do hire a property management company, then you know what to expect. You're not like, you know, blinded from any unexpected thing. So eventually, once we got our next property, we acquired a single family and we did go ahead and reach out to a property management company. Yeah, yeah, we did. It, but also like coming now to today, even with our assisted living, we uh, we hire a professional manager. I mean, we don't necessarily have a management company that we use, but we have a professional operator, somebody that's been in the business for over 20 right. years. We have professional team members who are servicing the property, uh, you know, professional contractors who build the properties and design architect teams, all of those things. So it's not a one man show. It's always about the team. Right. Of course. Of course. And that's what I was going. Right. So the operator is employed by you. It's not a third party company. All your um, uh, as, and the care providers. Is, is that correct? That's right. That is correct. Yep. Okay. That's interesting. That's pretty good to know. Um, so, uh, and what kind of returns do you see in assisted living or uh, personally when you are doing it by yourself and, and if you have investors, how does that work? So typically we look at double digit returns, um, you know, not making any, any guarantees or, or, uh, or promises for the future. But again, historically, every property that we've invested in has gotten uh, has gotten double digit returns. We've taken losses on some properties um, in the past when we were growing, and I think we're going to talk about that here in a minute. But when we were growing and learning, we took losses. I mean, and that was our education. Right. Um. So anybody who ever tells you they've never lost any money in real estate, I turn around and run from them because that's exactly. not necessarily <laughs> the truth. And if it is the truth, they're going to lose money, and it might be yours they lose. So I've lost enough money in real estate. In the past, right, you know, I've lost a lot of money in the past in real estate to have learned from those mistakes and to move forward. But, you know, in an assisted living facility, you're looking at double digit returns, um, you know, in the high teens, uh, you know, 20s as a conservative estimate. Um, you're looking at in the single family. I mean, I dare to say you you could very easily make 100 percent returns in your flips. I mean, the velocity of your capital going out in the year could create very high returns. Right. So I'm glad that you mentioned about education, right? Because people ask me, oh, why do you go to these conferences? Of course, we met at a couple of conferences, right? Um, they're like, oh, you are spending so much money. Huh? And I keep telling them that you are going to spend money on education one way or other, right? 
Uh, it's going to conferences or attending these courses or buying real estate or something else uh, and then losing money on it. That's your edu education. You learn from your mistakes and move on, right? So um, I'm glad to hear from you as well that yes, you lost money and that's the education part of it, right? <laughs> right. Yeah, I agree. Yep, we did. It, can we jump to mixed use uh, as well? So wh wh why mixed use and what do you exactly do with mixed use as well? Do you also have a separate operator or how does that work? So as we grow our mixed use, uh, our development part of our business, um, it's mostly a lot of that is third party managed. So we're looking at our first project. We've been in contact with property man professional property management companies right. um, who have discussed with us the strategy to best optimize management for a mixed-use property. So, for example, uh, a commercial uh, leasing company that takes care of the retail, uh, that takes care of the multifamily lease-up, that takes care of the office lease-up, all of those things um, are taken care of by a professional property manager. Um, now, being that we have not gotten into our first deal yet and we're still doing our due diligence, we're not offering anything in that space yet. So, um, and although it's our project, you know, in mixed use, we're right. still not open for investors yet. Yeah. Got it. So uh, give me an idea about a deal like you're one of the best deal where, you know, um, or, or let's say, let's talk about the best deal you did yourself. And then we can talk about an, a deal where you had investors uh, in the deal as well. Hmm. So the best deal that we have ever done. I, f I feel like it's a second duplex. That was, that's a good one. Yeah. Oh, the second duplex <laughs> we bought. Um, okay, so <laughs> it's, uh, it's interesting. So we had a friend, really good friend, still a friend today, and we inspired him. So we went out, bought our first duplex. He said, Justin, I really want to do what you've done. How did you do it? We explained to him what we, what we did. So he went out and bought a duplex also. He lived in one side, rented out the other. I lived in one side, rented out the other. Funny thing, we uh, we had to put up some ceiling fans. So he came over to my house and he looked at the house and he said, oh my God, this is beautiful. I'd love to buy it. I said, well, one day I'll sell it to you if you know when I'm done with it. He said, okay, well, great. <laughs> Nameless to say, I did not have a clue that that one day would come by really quickly. So I ended up selling him my duplex. Um, we switched houses. So this is, this is really funny. We yes. switched houses. <laughs> Oh, I no. rented from him for a month. Yeah, I rented from him for a month <laughs> so that we could build our house. So yeah. We constructed, we had to do a, a full-blown like stud to roof redevelopment of our own house we live in. Right. Um, we lived in that house, in his duplex for one month, then moved into our house we live in currently. And what ended up happening about a year later, he calls me because we stayed friends. He said, Justin, I can't do this anymore. I'm getting really <laughs> stressed out by owning these two duplexes. <laughs> what should I do? Yeah. So being a friend, I said, Hey, you probably could sell them. I started calling my friends that, that are realtors. I said, you could probably sell it for a good amount of money. Mm -hmm. He said, well, Justin, I just need to get under it. I, I'm from under, I'm really stressed out. I'm really stressed. Out. I said, okay, well, listen, wow. here's what I can do. I said, I'm in the middle of a project right now. So, um, I said, I can negotiate some terms, but you know, it's going to have to be you know, more favorable terms because right now my cash is out on these projects. And he said, Justin, I don't care. We're friends. You make it happen. You tell me what I need to do. I'll sell it to you right now. And so long story short, he sold it to us. Um, now, 
it was a win-win because I told him to use a realtor. You can sell it right now. I told him he can make a profit. He said, I don't want to do all of that because he wants to get out from under, under it. He wanted in like the next two weeks. Right. Wow. We ended up closing on this house in two weeks. So the, here's the best part of the deal. So we ended up closing um, in the contract. I wrote that I wanted all the deposits like any good investor. You make sure you get the deposits. I got all the deposits. I got the prorated rents for the month that I, I was in and the rents going forward. We negotiated a, a decent down payment and I ended up coming to the table with very little money down for that project. That's um, awesome. But that wasn't even the best. That wasn't even the best part. He seller financed the deal. Oh, wow. And, and not only did he seller finance, this is some stuff that happened like in, you know, this would be like a 2010, 2011 deal, but this happened in 16. Yes. So yeah. not only did he do that, he, yeah, not only did he do that though, he, we turned around and ended up selling it for a, a large five figure profit, um, you know, a couple of years later. So it was, I mean, it was well over $40,000 we made on this property. Um, off of this this one little transaction, and I mean, when I say little money down, it was you know a couple of grand. So that was probably the absolute best business that we've ever done. Yeah, I don't think you can beat that. <laughs> and it's a funny <laughs> story. <laughs> so any any deal you want to talk about where you had raised capital from investors? Um, no, I mean, not particularly. I mean, I, I think I think that as far as like standout, that was probably the most standout deal because uh, in far as go ooh, geez, if I could talk as far as, um, you know, returns are concerned, as far as uh, overall hold period, as far as the structure. Yeah. Um, you know, we could go into deals, but I mean, I, when I start looking at deals, a lot of them come out to be about the same. So we want to, you know, put our best foot forward and talk about the, the absolute best deal we had and then you know going to our worst deal mediocre isn't really something i enjoy talking about and a lot of our investor deals are a lot of real straightforward you get a double digit cash on cash return relatively stable you know just getting in making your money you get your return move on all right that that's awesome so yeah of course you and i just uh, discussed about losing money on real estate as well so of course you know this is coming uh, well, what's your, what's your worst deal? <laughs> uh, probably the first house we bought. Maybe, no? Um, no. So, I know which one. It's going to be the one, um, what was that one? Is it Norton? Was that Norton? No, I don't know. It was, it was one. I know what you're talking about. So, yeah. you're talking about the one where we did, uh, uh, had the sewer line go out on us, uh, uh three days before closing. Or three days I think before so. we, yeah, and then I had to do the landscaping and all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was a beautiful home. We don't, I don't exactly remember the address. It was a beautiful home, though. Mm -hmm. We really put our best foot forward. It was really going well, um, but we had a couple of things come up in the middle of construction that caused us to have to put out more capital than we thought. We planned on it a little bit, but yep. the big thing that happened was uh, right. I, I promise you, this always happens on every deal. Right when you're ready to be done with the deal, something pops up that you got to write one more check on. <laughs> and it just so happened that my contractor tried to flush the toilet and it wouldn't go down. And I said, okay, well, this isn't a big deal. My contractor's probably just trying to get some more money out of me. So I said, okay, roto rooted. So I, he, he went over and he got a, a, a snake. He snaked right. it, I adjusted, I can't get through. I said, okay. 
I still don't believe you because, you know, you're going to have to prove it to me because I'm really not trying to put out any more money. We're about to list this thing. I mean, it was a Tuesday. We were sort of listed on Thursday. Right. I said, I'm going to the Home Depot. I'm picking up a snake and I'm going to snake it myself. I'm proving to myself that it's not going to go through. <laughs> Needless to say, it did not go through. We had a, a local plumbing company come through and they said that our line was blocked. And so, uh, we ended up having to put out, we ended up having to put out a, a relatively significant amount of money on this uh, new sewer line because uh, they said it was one of the top three worst blockages they'd ever seen in the history wow. of their plumbing. So, wow. yeah, so it was, it was, uh, it was a pretty raw deal. So what did the numbers yeah, in the end? What happened in the end? Uh, we ended up losing on that deal. Uh, there was a, it was a loss on our, on our part. We took a loss of, I think it was around 7,500 to $10,000. Wow. So what, what was the key takeaway out of that one? Or what was the lesson learned? No, it was too thin. The deal was too thin. Not only was the deal thin, um, we had a lot of factors that played into our demise. It's never one thing, right? Right. It's always a, a a bunch of little things. So the biggest thing was that um, we had too much expense creep. Um, we had an expense creep on an upgraded tile. We had an expense creep on having to hold it longer than anticipated. We had an expense creep on the uh, the sewer line. Um, mm -hmm. The financing terms were a little expensive. I mean, I probably could have found a better deal on financing, which would allow us to make more profit. And it probably would have taken away the 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 seventy five hundred dollars loss, and at least allowed us to break even. So it was a couple of things in the play, but it was one of our first deals also, and it allowed us to grow and learn quite a bit. Yeah, I would say too is that you know how you get that eerie feeling like okay, I know something's not right. Maybe I should change this up. I'm thinking I should go with my gut, but then you still attempt to make it work. I think with that deal. And probably as we've gone through our learning process, that has happened. And so the takeaway is to simply stop, rethink it, re-go over the plan, and then approach cautiously. That's right. <laughs> that's right. And that's a great point you brought up regarding learning process and growing the business out of that deal, right? Because now, now you went through the entire life cycle and you have also built a repo and relationship with let's say contractor plumbing company or you find the right resources now right so right. that's how you are able to grow the business uh, that, that's a great Absolutely. story so not knowing what you know now what would you have done differently overall not only just this one deal uh, you know where you are right now um you know there is um I, it's, it's a duality to answer this question, and I, and I hesitate to say that I would do nothing differently because everything you experience is a part of your education. Mm -hmm. And so what we've experienced at this point, I believe that it allowed us to be who we are today. But, you know, there's also that, that part of me that says if I had just went a little faster, maybe I could have gotten a little further. Um, so the honest answer is I really – like the idea of where we are today i like the idea that i've learned so much because um even through the losses if you can figure out the silver lining in your loss you can really grow from it 
And if you don't ever lose, how can you ever win? Yeah. You know, success is nothing more than a, a, a mountain of failures that you are able to stand on top of and not bury by. Right, right. And you just never know what scenario can come your way or how you can help somebody else get through a situation. Right. If you're always on top and always doing the right thing, how do you ever know how to overcome? That's right. That, that's that's such a great point, actually. I enjoyed that. <laughs> Mountain <laughs> of failures. Yeah, that that makes so much sense. Hey, so uh, any any books do you recommend? I know you are going to say resilience, turning your setback <laughs> into a comeback, but other than that. <laughs> <laughs> resilience, turning your setback into a comeback. No. So, um, I've, I, I, you, you and me have talked about this. I've read so many books. Um, so do you want me to just rattle off a list of all the books that I just love <laughs> off the top of my head? Yeah, <laughs> one would be enough. <laughs> one. Okay. One. The top book. You can do uh, one and I'll do one. Okay. So <laughs> one of the most impactful books that I've ever read is How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie. That's a great book, man. That's a great book. Yeah. And so one book that I really like is The All-In Startup by Diana Kander. It's a really great book, especially for the entrepreneur that's just getting started. Mm, that's a good book, yeah. I have not read that book. I, I, I'll put that in my list as well. So thank you both. How can my listeners reach out to you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, the best way to reach out to us would be um, the email address is info at realliferealequity.com. And so that's just info, I-N-F-O, at realliferealequity.com. That's good. So I thoroughly enjoyed this conversation and I wish we could go on and on. Uh, but we'll have to end it. Yeah, we'll have to end here. And I'm hoping we'll uh, do this again in, a, in six months or a year's time. Um, and we'll see the progress you guys have made and where, where you are at that point. Uh, so thank you so much thank for you. taking time out of your busy schedule today. No, yeah. thank you. No, thank thank for you. Us. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Have a nice weekend. You too. Thanks for listening to the Wealth Matters podcast. If you enjoyed it, please leave us a five-star rating on iTunes so others can enjoy the show too. Have a great week and happy investing.